Our very existence depends on this. Black strength. Strength that has carried us for decades, but is undermining an important aspect of our humanity and feeding in on itself. Being strong all the time took away our ability to speak about our weaknesses, our sadness, our mental illnesses. This silence is killing us. Welcome to another edition of the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Black Doctor Speak is your source for vetted, accurate information on African-American health from some of the nation's top doctors and is sponsored by the African-American Wellness Project. Our special guest today is Dr. Oliver Brooks. Dr. Brooks is the Chief Operating Officer from Watts Community Health Center, a very distinguished pediatrician, former chairman of the National Medical Association, the Organization of Black Physicians, and the chairperson of the African-American Wellness Project. I'm Dr. Michael Noah. I am the president of the African-American Wellness Project. Throughout this COVID epidemic, we've been very involved and very engaged in trying to encourage African-Americans to get vaccinated. It's been a tough job, but things are getting better. Older African-Americans are vaccinated at much higher rates uh, now than they have been before, and younger African-Americans are slowly coming to the idea of vaccination and maybe the only way forward. What we're most concerned about at this particular point in time is the fact that now we're going to talk about vaccinating children. And that's going to be a much more difficult conversation in all communities, and especially in the African-American community, where suspicion about the vaccine still lingers even in those who got vaccinated. So the African-American Wellness Project, we've made a special commitment to work on trying to talk to parents about vaccination for their children and who better to talk to who better to talk with them uh, than two pediatricians, one OG and one relatively young pediatrician. Now, Dr. Brooks, thank you so much. Uh, you okay. know, we've had a tough time in the African American community trying to get the numbers up in terms of vaccination. But it's going to be a special problem with children. Uh, and my um, my concern is that unless they we start talking to them. And from the perspective of black doctors who take care of children, we're not going to be successful. First of all, how do you feel about that? I feel that parents look to their pediatrician, especially even more so than adults looking to their doctor. Parents look to their pediatrician for guidance and advice on all things related to their children and even beyond their health care. So it is imperative that we have a clear message that these children need to be vaccinated. And as black pediatricians, and I'm not sure whether I'm the OG or the young one, but as uh, black pediatricians, we need to speak with one voice. We need to be clear that these children, our children, all children need to be vaccinated against COVID-19. What are the present recommendations for vaccinating children? And what do you see on the horizon? So the present recommendation started with Pfizer when Pfizer was approved for ages 16 and up because Moderna and J&J were both 18 and up. So Pfizer came out of the box first with a quote-unquote pediatric recommendation with the concept of pediatric ends when you turn 18. But then in May, there was the indication, the recommendation, the approval under EUA for the Pfizer vaccine to be given to children 11 to 15, which meant, excuse me, 12 to 15, which meant 11 on up to maturity. So that is that is where we are right now. So children 
12 and up can and should be vaccinated against COVID-19 with the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, looking on the horizon, the FDA has already received the request from Pfizer to allow vaccination of children 5 to 11. This will be reviewed likely in early November by the ACIP, of which I am a member. And there is a likelihood, though I'm speaking about that not as a member of the ACIP, but just in general, there is a likelihood that that will receive approval. That being stated, therefore, we need to get out in front of it and be ready from day one of potential approval for children 5 to 11. You know, most parents see children, especially infants, uh, as very fragile, uh, and that the more we put in them, the worse things become for them. But really, we already vaccinate infants and children for other diseases. What what makes children the target uh, for vaccinations? So a number of reasons. So first of all, I vaccinate newborns one day, zero days, one hour of age against hepatitis B, and that is the recommendation, and they do fine. Um, I would say first, the fragility that these parents are referencing is accurate because infants from zero to two months, and maybe even up as I say six months, but sure, they're, they're functionally immunosuppressed. Their immune system is weak, so they are at risk. So when they think that they're fragile, therefore they can't get vaccinated, it's kind of the other way around, that they need to get vaccinated. The other thing is children don't wash their hands well. They cough on each other. They touch everything. They put everything in their mouth. So they're, they're potentially getting uh, infectious bacteria or viruses uh, in their system. And then what children do is they are what they call a vector. A vector is someone that spreads something. So these children get infected. They'll get COVID. They don't tend to die. They can get things. They can get MISC, that multi-inflammatory uh, syndrome in children. They can die from that. But they spread it to grandpa. They spread it to the cousin. They spread it to other kids. So the real issue, a real issue, other than the fact that children do die and do get COVID, but they can also spread it to other people. Hold it just a second. Let me plug in my computer. And I'm going to edit this so it won't make any difference with it. All right. So while he edits this, I will take a sip of my tea. Please. And uh, note that I am not the COO at Watts, but the CMO. Right. And that I was president of NMA as you were and not chairman of NMA. But it's all good. No, we just did something right. somewhere for somebody. Right, right. They would. You you'd be you'd be going in front of the J judicial council. <laughs> all right. So so actually uh we have a great experience well, so actually we have a great experience in vaccinating children. I mean we've uh, done it for a very long period of time. Uh, is there something different about this vaccine that will make it uh, more difficult for children to accept it immunologically? No, immunologically, no. And I think I want to point out this. The best age for a total immune response from zero to 99 is around age nine to 11. So these children, and the studies have shown that, these children respond with such a robust antibody and T-cell response that 
you know, we are giving, generally speaking, I think this is true for both of them. Yeah, it is true for uh, Pfizer and Moderna. The dose that will be given is is lower than the adult dose because you don't even need that full dose in children because they respond so readily. So no, the only thing I will say it is a new vaccine. It is, it is a messenger RNA vaccine, the Pfizer and Moderna. But the same way adults responded safely, effectively, with minimal side effects and in reduction in infection, hospitalization, and death, the same will happen with children. Studies have shown it's safe, it's effective with a reduction in infection, hospitalization, and death. What are some of the side effects uh, that have been noticed in those children that are allowed to be vaccinated down to age 12? Right. So it's generally the same as we see in adults. There is called local which is like at the site where you get it locally, redness, swelling, and pain at the injection site. And then the systemic infection. It's interesting, in children, we saw uh, vomiting and diarrhea. Don't exactly know why. That was at a higher rate than uh, adults. And then we grade the response on grades one, two, and three, three being the worst. And we saw very few grade threes. So it'd be mild diarrhea. You also obviously can get fever, well, not obviously, but speak to it. You can get fever, you can get malaise. Uh, and these, these are the things that we saw. So generally speaking, these are the same re- uh, reactions that we see to most vaccines. So it is not, I mean, overall, the safety profile is, is fine. I, as a pediatrician and someone who has looked at the data, am comfortable giving the vaccine if I had children that were, five to 11, grandkids, cousins, whatever, I would recommend it highly. You know, there have been some problems with uh, the Moderna vaccine uh, given under the age of 30 uh, to males. Uh, In certain countries, Denmark and in Sweden, uh, the recommendation is not to give the Moderna vaccine to people under the age of 30 uh, because of what we call myocarditis or inflammation of the heart. How big a problem is that? So it's a good question and it's a reasonable question. What we have seen is a higher rate in males uh, under 30 of myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart. Sounds terrible, right? And I understand that. The case rate was relatively low. I want to say somewhere around 8 per million. Very important thing about myocarditis related to the vaccine. Number one, the children didn't, the, anyone, the people generally speak, I think they might have had one death out of maybe however many cases. But it is any, generally any mild. Huh? Any death is serious, of course. It's serious, that's correct. But what we have to understand is this, and so this, this is, let me, I'll finish then, I, you, you're correct. Uh, the, the mild cars that you get is, is mild, okay? It did happen, very, very rare events, but it did happen. But really, really importantly, People who get COVID are at higher risk for myocarditis. So if you're giving a vaccine, this prevents COVID and therefore prevents the chances of getting myocarditis related to the infection. And the people that got myocarditis that had COVID were were sick. They were in intensive care unit. They died. Uh, They needed hospitalization. So when you balance the risk and the benefit, the, the, the data was clear. I saw it and looked at it, reviewed it, thought about it, and then said, I understand that it is more beneficial to vaccinate than to not vaccinate. 
Well, that brings up one question parents are asking me fairly frequently. You know, since children don't get very serious illnesses, why do they need a COVID vaccine? All right. So first of all, children can and do get MISC, uh, multi-system inflammatory uh, syndrome in children. So there then, and for our people, it's a higher rate of this particular in, uh, condition, which tends to happen about six weeks after you resolve your COVID infection. And there are deaths, like I said. So they do, but at a much lower rate. But again, getting back to what I have said, children spread it to other people. So when you really think about how are we going to get our arms around COVID, there are two ways and two ways only. Vaccinate and infection control. Okay, that's it. We have nothing else. I think the concept of treating this Merck pill that came out, what it did is it reduced your hospitalization days from maybe eight to, to four. So I don't want to be in the hospital at all. I need something better than you just make me in the hospital for a shorter period of time. So we have to vaccinate and we have to get to what's called herd or it's called community immunity. And that herd immunity is everybody. It's just not adults. So we will not whip this vaccine, this, excuse me, this infection, this COVID-19, this pandemic, unless we get everyone vaccinated. That's why it's imperative that children get vaccinated also. You know, there are still some other questions that parents are asking. Are there any children who shouldn't get the vaccine? So it would be children to have a, an allergy to any of the components of the vaccine. One is uh, polyethylene glycol. It can be used as a, uh, as a laxative. And there are a few contraindications. I would say that for those few, uh, talk to your pediatrician regarding them. Really, really few, though. Yeah, I like to dispense with some of the mess around the allergy piece. Um, you know, too often parents will misunderstand and think that just because you have serious hay fever problems or asthma problems, then you can't get this vaccine. Uh, the only thing that's recommended to look at as an as a as a, uh, uh, an effector for an allergic reaction is polyethylene glycol, uh, the so-called PEG test, and we can do that test as allergists to see if, in fact, a child or an adult uh, reacts to polyethylene glycol. Uh, there's some questions about how uh, effective that test is identifying. Uh, children who have uh, allergies to that substance. There have been a number of children who've had negative tests who've also had anaphylactic reactions. But it is important to recognize, A, reactions to the vaccine are very rare. And just because you have allergies does not make you at risk uh, for having an allergy to this vaccine. Um, now, another thing uh, that runs in my community of parents is that the COVID-19 vaccine can make your children sterile and that the COVID vaccine um, uh, can give you COVID-19. Yeah, so maybe some of these teenage boys need to be sterile so they don't get themselves in trouble. But that being stated, uh, it's interesting because I never was really clear as to how the concept of the relationship between the vaccine and fertility and fertility came about. But there's no data, none, zero that there is uh, infertility. I will say that the study showed that if you get COVID, you find the, the disease, you find you can find the, vac the, the virus in the semen. So it's almost the other way around, that COVID may have some negative or deleterious effects. And then um, that you can get COVID from the vaccine. So 
That's generally not true in any vaccine. Live virus vaccines, there's a very low chance of certain things. And generally speaking, I mean, you could even speak this, that, that is really nil. Um, but for COVID vaccine, J, well, not J&J, but maybe J&J gets the children, but the, the mRNA vaccines and the adenovirus vaccines, which was J&J, is, there is zero chance. It's like me showing you a picture of a robber, and then that robber can rob you. No. The, we're showing you a picture, your immune system, a picture of something that will stimulate our immune response and that your body develops antibodies. So, no, there's, there's zero chance. Zero. One out of a, well, zero out of a billion. Okay? Not one out of a billion. Yeah, so I think it's important for parents to understand that this is a vaccine very much like all the other vaccines. Right. Uh, one of the problems that we've had as pediatricians is that when I first started, there may have been three or four vaccines. Now there are more than, what, 15, 18 mm, vaccines, like and we're piling yeah. these on into children, and parents get increasingly concerned. But uh, the question is, uh, when you have problems from vaccines, is it a collective problem of the number or types of vaccines you get, or is it unique to that particular vaccine? And how soon after getting vaccinations can you get the COVID vaccination? So, okay, you can get the COVID vaccine concurrently with any other vaccine. So when your child goes in now, say, well, let's say a month from now, assuming it's approved, if your child needs to get its MMR vaccine, well, no, let's say five, five, age five. So let's say your your kindergarten vaccine child is five and getting their uh, their uh, get your your varicella and you get your MMRV and then you get your DTAP uh, IPV. You can get the COVID or and or flu. You can get all those at the same time. First of all, um, now your other question was related to to what the collective. Uh, oh, collective. Effect. Right. So you know. <sighs> I, I, it's, 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 it's individual. So um, if you're going to have a problem with the vaccine, it's not because you got some other shot. It really isn't. So the other thing, importantly, is that the immune system can handle as many antigens or vaccines as you can give it. Little kids and even older kids, say five kids, five to 11, they'll sneeze on each other. They'll, they'll you handle a doorknob and they put their hand in their mouth. Right there, you're getting five times as many antigens as you get from a vaccine. And I'll add to that lastly, that the older vaccines when we were given to children, let's say in 1990s to the 2000s, they had a lot of extraneous stuff in there. Like a lot, of, we would say 3,000 antigens, where right now children get 300 antigens, and they didn't have a problem with it. So that, that child's immune system can handle what you're putting in readily, readily, with no issue. Yeah, I'd like to explain to parents Perhaps I may use some slides as we go along. What happens when you get a vaccine? What happens in your body when you get attacked by anything that your body recognizes is not you? Is there a whole series of immune reactions that take place? Some of them non-specific. That means sometimes your white cells will go to the fight. Uh, sometimes your, your your skin will protect you. Uh, sometimes there are other things that protection have nothing to do with the specificity of the infection. But when we talk about viruses, when a virus infects you, your body makes a very specific and unique response to that virus. Uh, and it's a protective mechanism because that virus is not you. And it remembers for years and years 
and years. Now, often when you have viruses like this, then the immunity doesn't last for years and years and years, and you may need to be boosted just like you are for many other vaccines. So this vaccine is no different. And so that it, it can, it, it, even though you may be giving your children lots of vaccines, uh, then each one of the responses your body makes is unique. I can remember, I don't know that you remember, Dr. Brooks, days in which I would see 60 to 70 to 80 patients a day when we worked in the same office of the immortal, uh, legendary Dr. William Jenkins. Uh, and those children were sick. They had meningitis, they had otitis, they had almost life-threatening diarrhea, uh, and, they, and a whole host of diseases. And I'm even old enough to remember polio epidemics and epidemics of pertussis. Um, and now I think if we see 20, 25 children, it's mostly for obesity or for hyperactivity or for other things because of vaccine. How you give us a perspective, your perspective, because uh, I'm the OG, so I've seen the worst of it. I've gone past the iron lungs. I've seen African-American children die of measles, mumps, and chickenpox. I've seen them die of all three of those things in my lifetime. What's the difference for you, uh, even though you came in at a different a different stage? So I came at a different stage, but I will say clearly, I remember patients with meningitis, which is inf infection of the, the tissue around the brain. So once you start getting anything messing around the brain, you're in trouble. So, <clears throat> excuse me, there were two particular bacteria uh, H flu and PC and pneumococcus. And that caused, it was a third oh, and um, meningitis. There was another third one. It's probably not even coming to my mind right now. But um, we are vaccinated against them. We don't even see them anymore. Very, very rare. So every time I had a kid that, that I had to worry about this. Simple concept ear infections. The number of ear infections have dropped because ear infection was caused by this bacteria called pneumococcus that we're vaccinating against. Um, we are a victim of our own success. Uh, it was stated that the greatest public health advance of the 20th century, last century, after clean drinking water was vaccines. And one of the 10 greatest threats in the 20th century is vaccine hesitancy. You didn't go there, but I have to say that. So I would say that I would see, I've seen a big difference. You said vaccine hesitancy. Hesitancy. Oh yeah, no, very clear. I did, I did. I said vaccine hesitancy, uh, which really the other thing that you will probably remember back in the day, there was no vaccine hesitancy. People came in, you give them their shot. It wasn't like, okay, you're getting your shots. There was no discussion. So it all started and it's, it's really bad, but vaccines are safe and effective. We have adopted them. We understand. I think the one thing I want to also say, Ed, what you said about the immune system, people don't realize it's a miracle that your body you can inject something, your body can make something so specific that it will kill this one thing out of the thousand things that your system sees. And it can remember that for years, months, whatever. I mean, that, we need to embrace this science as opposed to reject it. We're spoiled. We need to get past that. You know, we've thought about this. You and I have talked about it. We've talked about it at the African-American Wellness Project. I've heard them talk about it on blackdoctor.org as well. Uh, you know, it's going to, this conversation with parents that you and I are having is a straight-up scientific conversation because I want parents to hear the science of it. 
But I can tell you, if you really want to get the information about the vaccine, I think it's going to take a cadre of black providers who take care of children to get out there and talk to parents about this particular vaccine. I think in my lifetime, obviously, I never thought I'd be in a pandemic. Never even crossed my mind. Uh, and I've seen what these viruses can do when they're allowed to run roughshod through your own communities. So we understand, and I, I'll get your response to this. We understand, parents, that you're concerned. We understand that you're reluctant to put anything into your child that you think may be harmful. But I think what you have to, what you have to consider is the long relationship we've had with you as pediatricians. Uh, we've been with you and your children, uh, sometimes with mothers and grandmothers. Uh, I haven't got any great grandmothers yet, but I'm get, but I'm getting close. Uh, and so, consequently, having that relationship with you uh, should have given you the trust that we would never, ever advise you to do anything that could remotely hurt your child. We as pediatricians are so concerned about the impact of this virus on our communities that we're going to make an extra effort to spend a little bit more time and answer all the questions that you have. And we hope that you take advantage of your relationship with your pediatrician or your provider for children's health services to do so. so what say you, Dr. Brooks? I would say that we have no ulterior motive. We're not getting paid by the pharmaceutical industry to, to speak this way. Uh, number two is that we've reviewed the research exhaustively and extensively. Uh, number three, there is mistrust of the healthcare system, of the medical system, and I don't blame you for those that feel that way, but that's not us. You can talk about that with somebody else. You can trust me. Okay, uh, and then lastly, our people need to kind of wake up. We're early on, Dr. Lenora Mike said, don't fall for the okie doke. And even now, people seem to be falling for the okie doke. The information that you are receiving, that you don't believe this stuff, not coming from the mainstream black, African American, or even non African American medical community, it's coming from this fringe. I'm not even clear, quite frankly, what their motive is, but we are motivated to take care of our children, to take care of our community. That's our motivation. So if you don't trust us, I don't know what else to say. You need to tell me then who you do trust if you don't trust us. Well, I think that here again, I say it's important for us as a black pediatricians to get out there and talk to our parents. We earn their trust. We earn their trust in the delivery room. We earn their trust when their infants were sick, when their adolescents were going off the rail. Even after they became adults and in college, we've earned your trust. Uh, and I think that you should sit and talk to us. Ask us these questions. Get your concerns answered. But I don't think that you should take the word of a stranger uh, against the word of some a group, a group of doctors, black pediatricians and providers take care of children who've been working with you all these years. The African-American Wellness Project pledges to you that we will answer every question we go to every community that we can go to virtually to talk about the importance of vaccines. We understand your hesitancy. We understand your concern, but we share you, we've showed you over the years, we've shared your concern about your children at a lot of different levels. I, I agree. And what else, final word will be, I'll answer any question from anybody. It'll be a straight answer. 
Okay. If I have to go research it, I'll go research it. But what I can say is everything that Dr. Lenore said is accurate. I fully endorse it. And you all have to get your children vaccinated. It's going to save the lives of the black community. And we already got enough issues. It's just an issue that we don't need to have to deal with. All right. For more information, uh, you can go to the African-American Wellness Fund, uh, uh, from, um, from the African-American for more information, you can go to the African American Wellness Project site and get information on this vaccine. And we'll have a number of programs that will talk about the importance of vaccines uh, and the safety uh, and the uh, and your concerns about the COVID-19 vaccine for your children. This ends this week's edition of the Welcome Watch, sponsored by the African American Wellness Project and BlackDoctor.org. Remember, health is your biggest asset. I'm Dr. Mike Lenore. We'll talk again next week. If you enjoyed our show, please remember to hit the subscribe button so that new episodes are delivered directly to you every week, as well as rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, listening to our show is as simple as telling your Alexa, Siri, or Google to play the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Take care, everyone.